Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. Our new season explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan, and eventually was shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. On our last episode, we presented the first half of Prosecutor Jesse Evans' questioning of Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent Richard Dial at a hearing where Judge Wallace Harrell would determine whether there was probable cause for the three men to face trial for felony murder. We concluded that episode with Prosecutor Evans asking Agent Dial about the video which brought this tragedy to national attention. At some point in time, I know that a video was started by Mr. Bryan. Is that accurate? That is, yes, sir. And he's confirmed as much, and we have copies of that video from his cell phone, correct? That's correct, yes, sir. There's been portions of that video that we played widely on television, but there's actually other portions to that video as well, correct? That is correct. We'll present the rest of Agent Dial's testimony at this hearing right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prosecutor Jesse Evans continued by asking Agent Dial about the contents of the video shot by defendant William Bryan. Can you please articulate for the court what you were able to see and confirm with Mr. Bryan about what he did as Mr. Arbery was heading down home throat away from uh, Mr. Bryan's vehicle? Yeah, so Mr. Bryan's pursuing Mr. Arbery down home road, again with the intention of trying to catch up him and block him in. At this point, while going down Holmes Road, Mr. Bryan turns on his cell phone camera and begins to try to videotape Mr. Aubrey. Um, Mr. Aubrey stops. Now, at this time, the McMichaels have turned off of Zellwood and are coming down from Holmes Road. So you've got one vehicle coming one way down Holmes Road and another vehicle coming another way, and Mr. Aubrey is in between them. So at some point, Mr. Aubrey turns around and starts heading back towards Mr. Bryan based upon the statement it appears that Mr. McMichael is coming. Mr. Aubrey's running, sees Mr. McMichael's truck, and then turns around and uh, runs back by Mr. Bryan's truck. Um, Mr. Bryan gets out of the way as uh, Aubrey runs past him, and then he sees the McMichaels come forward. Now, at this point in the video, Mr. Bryan has put the video down, so you don't have video um, of this sequence of events. But this is according to Mr. Bryan's statement that Aubrey runs past his truck, then the McMichaels come past his truck. Then Mr. Bryan pulls out and again goes back down in the direction of that Mr. Aubrey had traveled. Before we leave this, this topic here, was any of this um, captured on the video before the phone was put down? Could you actually see Mr. Aubrey trying to evade the truck? Yes, sir, you can. Here, Prosecutor Evans begins to lay the groundwork for probable cause that the defendants committed the statutory crime of false imprisonment. What happens when the McMichael's truck gets ahead of the victim? Their vehicle gets ahead of Mr. Aubrey, then they stop their vehicle. And this is almost at the intersection of Sotilla Drive and Holmes Road. They stop. Is this a public roadway? It is. 
Where is Mr. Bryan's vehicle located during this portion of the chase? Um, Mr. Bryan's vehicle is behind Mr. Aubrey. Mr. Aubrey at this point is between um, Travis McMichael's vehicle and Mr. Bryan's vehicle. Is Mr. Bryan able to video any portion of what happens next? He is. Have you reviewed that video and do you have it? I do and I have. Can you please describe the chronology of events after the McMichaels parked their vehicle in the middle of this public roadway as Mr. Arbery approached the back of that vehicle? Yes, I can. Mr. Bryan began, picks up the phone, has been videotaping the whole time and, and holds it up so you have a view. Um, you see Mr. Arbery running down Holmes Road going towards Satilla Drive. You see Travis McMichael's truck is parked in the road. Travis McMichael, the driver's side door is open. Travis McMichael is there. Um, it is apparent to me he is holding a firearm pointed. Then Mr. Aubrey is running. He then apparently sees Travis McMichael in front of him. Then he changes direction to go around the passenger side of the vehicle. Rather than going to the driver's side where you had seen Travis McMichael with the shotgun, he's now going to the opposite side of that truck that's parked in this public roadway. That's correct. He's going around the truck. What happened after that? Travis McMichael then moved from the driver's side where he's actually standing. When you open a driver's side door, the door is at his back initially in the video and he's got the shotgun. He then positions himself around the driver's side door towards the front of the truck. You see Mr. Aubrey running alongside the passenger side. And again, you see uh, Travis McMichael has reposed himself along the front of the truck. Mr. Aubrey then comes up to a position, sees Travis McMichael, then makes a decision and turns and decides to engage Travis McMichael. At this moment, we get to the part of the video that brought this tragedy to national attention. What happens after that? As he turns and goes towards Travis McMichael, you hear a shot. Then um, you see Travis McMichael moving backwards with um, Mr. Aubrey. Um, obviously, they are engaged in a physical confrontation at this point. They go off the screen. You then hear a second shot where you see blood and spray into the screen, a mist of it. Then they come back in to the view of the camera. Mr. Aubrey is striking. Travis McMichael, there's a struggle going on. Then you see a third shot occur on the firearm being lowered down like that. When you see the, after the third shot, you then see Mr. Aubrey get past Travis McMichael and continue running down homes, almost right there at the intersection, and then he falls. You uh, articulated three separate gunshots here, correct? Yes. Where was Greg McMichael at the time that this was going on? Greg McMichael was in the back of the pickup truck uh, when the situation began he was on the phone at this point have they finally called 911 they have yes this 911 call by greg mcmichael was logged by the dispatcher as an unidentified male caller at 1:14 p.m on february 23rd 2020. the caller said to the dispatcher quote i'm out here at satilla shores there's a black man running down the street end quote when the dispatcher asked quote where in Satilla Shores, end quote. The caller replied, quote, I don't know what street we're on, end quote. The dispatcher then heard the caller yelling at someone who was apparently running on the road in front of him. Quote, hey, stop, what are you? Watch that, stop, damn it, we want to talk to you, end quote. The dispatcher tried to re-engage the caller, but there was no response until the line finally went dead. Mr. Albanese's call to 911, alerting authorities to Mr. Arbery's presence on the construction property, was placed at 1.08 p.m. 
Greg McMichael placed his 911 call, marking the moment his son Travis fired the shots that killed Mr. Arbery at 1.14 p.m. The pursuit and killing of Ahmaud Arbery took six minutes. Greg McMichael's 911 call began in the moments when Ahmaud Arbery made the decision to challenge his son Travis by trying to take Travis's shotgun away from him. The call ended as his son was shooting Mr. Arbery. At no time after the shooting did either one of the McMichaels or Mr. Bryan call 911 to request medical assistance for Mr. Arbery. Prosecutor Evans goes on to ask Agent Dial several questions about exactly where Greg McMichael was during this final confrontation, and also about the type of weapon that Greg McMichael was carrying. According to Agent Dial, Greg McMichael stayed in the pickup truck's open cargo bed, holding a cell phone in one hand and a Smith & Wesson .357 Magnum revolver in his other hand. Greg McMichael identified himself as a, quote, former Glynn County police officer, end quote, to the two current Glynn County officers who were first to arrive at the scene. He also told them that his gun had been issued by the Glynn County Police Department. Prosecutor Evans then moves on to question Agent Dial about the nature of Ahmaud Arbery's gunshot wounds and Travis McMichael's weapon. You mentioned three gunshot wounds in this particular case. Can you articulate for the court and the benefit of our record where those gunshot wounds were to Mr. Arbery's body? I can. Mr. Arbery suffered a gunshot wound to the center of the chest. He also suffered a gunshot wound to the upper left chest around the armpit area here. Um, Again, um, from the front to the back. He then suffered a shotgun to wound to his right wrist. You're aware, though, that certain items of evidence of significance were correct, collected in this case by Glenn County Police Department? I am, yes, sir. How about the firearm? Yes. Um, well, Travis McMichael's firearm was collected by the Glenn County Police Department. And how many spent uh, shell casings do we have from that shotgun? Three. Uh, two of them were expelled, is that accurate? That is correct. What about the third one? Where did that remain? It was still within the chamber of the weapon. And give a description briefly for the benefit of the court and the record about what type of firearm that was that was used to shoot Mr. Arbery. Eight, the 870, Remington 870 12-gauge shotgun is a pump-action shotgun, meaning that to uh, once a shot is fired, the front forearm of the weapon has to be operated to eject the spent shell, and then the forearm has to be operated again to load a new live round in. During uh, Travis McMichael's interview with police, did he make any admissions about firing the fatal gunshots in this particular case? He did. He admitted firing the weapon three times. And um, the first shot that he articulated, where did he indicate to police that that shot landed? The chest, Mr. Albert's chest. So the first shot that Travis McMichael said um, that was inflicted on Mr. Arbery was one of the chest wounds that you'd articulated here, correct? That is correct. And um, is there video evidence that you saw that tends to corroborate based on your observation that that is an accurate statement that the chest wound was, or at least one of the chest wounds was the first shot that was um, fired at the deceased victim, Mr. Arbery? Yes, sir, there is. Can you articulate to the court how, how that is that you're able to see that? After the first shot, again, you see a struggle between Travis McMichael and Mr. Aubrey. Mr. Aubrey, while he was wearing a white shirt during this incident, during that struggle, you see the front of his shirt is saturated with blood. 
After Agent Dial finishes describing the evidence contained in the video recorded by Mr. Bryan, Prosecutor Evans asks Dial to recap for the judge, the finder of fact in this hearing, the events which led to the killing of Mr. Arbery, this time allowing the agent to point out for the judge where on a map of the area each of the critical aspects of the pursuit and shooting took place. As Prosecutor Evans leads Agent Dial through this recapitulation of the facts, he periodically asks Agent Dial to highlight facts which take on special legal significance in the context of this case. Describe uh, what is depicted here for the benefit of Judge Harold. This is the Satilla Shores neighborhood. And then uh, show generally the entrance into Satilla Shores that you had talked about. <clears throat> this is the entrance up here to Satilla Shores. And um, you had talked generally about a house under construction. Let's talk about the locations that you've talked about during your testimony before we go into the chronology a little bit more. Certainly. Again, this is Tiller Drive. It comes down. This would be approximately the residence that was under construction, and that would belong to Mr. Larry English. This is March. It's 230 Satilla Drive. This is uh, Greg and Travis McMichael's residence where they resided. Down Burford, uh, it would be within this area here, is William Bryan's residence along Burford. And then what about Holmes Drive? Do you see that depicted here as well? Yes, this is Satilla Drive here. This is Holmes Road. The intersection, the shooting incident took place about here. Based on the chronology that you have just described for the court, please show where Mr. Arbery would have initially entered this neighborhood. He would enter the neighborhood from up here, which is the entrance. Again, um, along Satilla Drive is where the house of construction is, and that's where you first see him. We have him on video. It's coming along Satilla Drive in this direction and coming into the house. Certainly. Again, Mr. Arbery comes out of the residence under construction, then heads south along Satilla Drive. You see him on the video um, as he comes in this direction. This, again, is Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael's house. Agent Dial states that after leaving the construction site, Mr. Arbery was running into the Satilla Shores neighborhood, which may signify that he was continuing a jog rather than running out of the neighborhood, which might have suggested that he was fleeing the construction site and that he had some sort of criminal intent. Greg McMichael's statement is that he goes in, tells Travis, they then grab their weapons, on the video, you see Travis, what appears to be Travis Michael's truck come off of 230 still drive and go in this direction in pursuit of Mr. Aubrey. According to their statements, Mr. Aubrey then comes down Satilla Drive. He then goes onto uh, Burford Road. Again, he comes by Mr. Bryan's house, which would be in this area here. There's video. He's going by Travis Michael's truck at this point. Then, according to statements, Mr. Aubrey goes down Buford. Travis Michael is pursuing him down Buford. Um, at, before they get to the turn here, Mr. Aubrey turns back and goes back north along Buford. This is when Greg McMichael gets out of his vehicle. In the meantime, Mr. Bryan has decided to go in pursuit himself. He has entered his truck. He sees Mr. Aubrey coming um, down Buford. He pulls out in the roadway and attempts to block him in and stop him. Uh, Mr. Aubrey goes around his truck at this point, Mr. Bryan is in pursuit of Mr. Aubrey, trying to stop him, trying to detain him. Travis Michael has made the decision to, instead of going back this way, to go around Buford when it turns into Zellwood here. 
and to come back along all the way up Zellwood and turn down Holmes Road, Travis Mack was taking this to try to cut him, cut Mr. Aubrey off. And um, was Mr. Aubrey ever able to leave this neighborhood based on the evidence that you have? No, sir. He was killed before he exited the neighborhood. Prosecutor Evans appears to be laying the groundwork here for the judge to find probable cause that Travis and Greg McMichael, along with Mr. Bryan, committed the crime of falsely imprisoning Ahmaud Arbery. According to Georgia law, quote, a person commits the offense of false imprisonment when, in violation of the personal liberty of another, he arrests, confines, or detains such person without legal authority, end quote. Why don't you describe, first of all, had Mr. Aubrey been able to make it to the intersection here of Holmes, and I guess that's Satilla, had he made a right there, had he been able to make a right, where would he have been able to go? He would have gone up Satilla Drive and out of the neighborhood. And what's across from this neighborhood that you've given some testimony about before? Highway um, 17 is here, and across Highway 17 is the entrance into Mr. Aubrey's neighborhood. It goes back into where he lives. His neighborhood is right across the highway? Yes, uh, describe where generally the sequence of events occurred in terms of the, the fatal shooting of Mr. Aubrey on home drive. So, uh, Travis Michael at some point has gotten in front of Mr. Aubrey. He actually stops right about here near the intersection of Holmes Road and Satilla Drive. That's where he stops his vehicle. It is facing towards the intersection of Satilla Drive with the rear of the vehicle facing back down Holmes Road. Uh, Mr. Bryan, it, from the video is coming down Holmes Road. Mr. Aubrey is between the two trucks. He's trapped in between the two? Yes. Okay. Um, Mr. Bryan, then you see there's a slight curve in the vehicle, which would be approximately this curve here. Um, Mr. Aubrey is coming towards um, Mr. McMichael's truck. Mr. McMichael is outside of the driver's side of the truck, armed with the shotgun at this point. Mr. Aubrey then comes, sees Mr. McMichael, changes and goes around the passenger side of the vehicle, not towards Travis Michael, but around it, um, and then Travis Michael changes his position to the front of the vehicle, and at that point is when Mr. Aubrey sees Travis Michael change the position in front of the vehicle and then engages Mr. McMichael. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Having established that Travis McMichael was intent on confining and detaining Mr. Arbery under threat of physical harm, and that Mr. Arbery made multiple attempts to escape that confinement, 
Prosecutor Evans has laid the groundwork for asserting that Mr. Arbery's decision to engage Mr. McMichael was a legal act of self-defense, which, again, is defined by Georgia law as, quote, using force against another when and to the extent that he or she reasonably believes that such threat or force is necessary to defend himself or herself or a third person against such other's imminent use of unlawful force, end quote. That's when the shooting took place. Yeah, the first shot. Yes, sir. After the first shot, then, um, because Travis Michael doesn't back up during the first shot, but after the first shot, there's the physical confrontation. You see Travis Michael backing up. Um, there is a physical altercation at this point. Um, you see that uh, you hear the second shot is off camera as well, but you do see the, the blood mist coming into the camera screen. Then you see um, them both Travis McMichael and Mr. Aubrey are fighting. They come back into the view of the screen, then you see the third shot. But this is all, the altercation you talk about is all after that first shot to the chest that Travis and Michael made an admission about. Yes, sir. That's correct. Um, I want to talk about statements of the defendants. Um, there were statements of all three defendants that were given to a number of investigators in the case, including Glenn County Police Department. That's correct. First, focusing on Greg McMichael's statement, was there any body cam video obtained showing statements that he made to responding officers? There was, yes, sir. And just summarize any admissions or statements that he made to Glenn County police officers. Greg McMichael um, pretty much relates uh, on the body cam footage and then later on, whenever there's, he actually is interviewed on camera by the Glenn County Police Department. Um, he makes admissions to seeing Mr. Aubrey running down the roadway. Um, his statement to the effect is he didn't know Mr. Aubrey had stolen anything or not, but he had a gut feeling that Mr. Aubrey may have been responsible for thefts that were in the neighborhood previously. Um, and he actually, I think he actually says gut, his um, instinct told him that. He then um, tells Travis McMichael, he then describes the pursuit of Mr. Aubrey. He um, says that during Greg McMichael's statement, he only hears two shots during his statement. Um, it appears by looking at his description of events that he either didn't realize the first shot or didn't register it. Um, he was um, admits to being on the phone with 911 when the shooting, uh, the first the shooting was occurring, pulling his weapon. Did he make any admissions to you about Mr. Bryan at some point <coughs> volunteering to join into this chase of Mr. Arbery in, in the neighborhood? And how did he describe that? Yeah, he, he described that Mr. Bryan was trying to um, block him in as well. Okay. And um, at the point of the actual shooting itself, did Mr. Greg McMichael make any admissions to Glenn County investigators about any statements that he was making to Travis McMichael about what he sure shouldn't do? Yes. Um, he says on the um, body camera footage of the first officer, he tells him that he was telling Travis McMichael, don't, don't shoot. Despite that, do you have video footage showing that essentially Greg McMichael is covering Travis with a 357? I, I do, yes, sir. Was there a video footage, both body cam and also interview footage of Travis McMichael and his assertions about what happened on this date? Yes, Travis McMichael's um, particularly uh, interview was done at the Glenn County Police Department with him where he went into detail. 
Did, did Travis McMichael make any admissions about ordering the victim at gunpoint to try to get on the ground or anything like that? Yes, he did. Prior to the shooting? Prior to the shooting, yes, sir. And what about any admissions that were made about the fatal shooting itself? Um, he admits to firing his um, shotgun three times. He says that all three shots struck the victim, and he said that the first shot was to the chest of the victim. Finally, as Prosecutor Evans brings his presentation of Agent Dial's testimony to a close, he asks the GBI agent to recount a piece of evidence that will almost certainly be a central part of the prosecution's case, that Travis McMichael's killing of Ahmaud Arbery was malice murder, which Georgia law defines as causing the death of another human being with malice aforethought. The last thing that I think I need to talk to you about, well, last couple things, this is going to involve an uncomfortable conversation, and you and I have talked about this a couple of times, is that correct? Yes, sir, we have. Um, you know that I want to ask you about a particular quote um, that Travis McMichael stated on the crime scene that was overheard by one of the defendants and shared with investigators prior to police arriving. Correct. That's correct. Yes, sir. And though this may be an uncomfortable conversation for the benefit of the court and for the record, um, we're making it clear that this is not your quote. It's not the GBI's quote. This is a quote from a statement of Mr. Bryan as to what he heard Travis McMichael say prior to police arriving. Correct. Very much so. Yes, sir. Um, understanding that and understanding that it might be a, a little uncomfortable to talk about the words because it involves a, a curse word and something else. I need to ask you about that quote. Can you please articulate for the court what Mr. Bryan said he heard Travis McMichael say prior to police arriving and after the fatal shooting? Yes, um, Mr. Bryan said that after the shooting took place, before police arrival, while Mr. Aubrey was on the ground, that he heard Travis Michael make the statement, fucking On our next episode, we're going to continue the examination of this probable cause hearing with a look at the defense lawyer's questioning of Agent Dial. But first, to discuss the case and specifically Agent Dial's testimony at this preliminary hearing, we welcome Georgetown Law Professor, MSNBC analyst, and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on issues of race and criminal justice, Paul Butler. Let's speak for a moment about racism and the demonstrations of racism in this case, the evidence presented by Agent Dial and Prosecutor Evans, for racial animus on the part of the defendants. Can you take us through that and its significance to the state's case against these men? The prosecution has to establish a motive in order to get the jury to convict. That's not legally required, but as a practical matter, unless the prosecution has a persuasive story about why the defendants would have wanted to kill or harm Mr. Arbery, the jury is unlikely to convict. And the prosecution's theory seems to be that the defendants incorrectly believed that Mr. Arbery was committing a crime or had committed a series of crimes in the neighborhood, that he'd been responsible for what the defense claims was a series of burglaries. And since there's no evidence at all that Mr. Arbery actually committed crimes like burglary at that location, the question is, well, why would they think, why would the defendants think that he had? And the prosecution 
will say because Mr. Arbery was black and these defendants suffered from racial stereotypes or implicit bias is at one point suggested by the investigator, which means that they basically thought because Mr. Arbery was black and because he was seen in the neighborhood that he was up to no good. And what are some of the pieces of evidence of that racial animus or racial bias? The, the smoking gun evidence and smoking gun is both a tragic and literal metaphor in this case is that right after Travis fired those shots into Mr. Arbery's body, he used the N-word. So that testimony will or should have a powerful impact on the jury because the question would be, why would you say that after you just wounded a person unless you were a racist? And the suggestion will be that that act of shooting Mr. Arbery was informed by his prejudice by his bias. The connection between racism and Mr. Arbery's death isn't as straightforward with regard to the other two defendants. So at the preliminary hearing, there was testimony that Travis McMichael had racist social media posts. The investigator said he'd also examine the social media post of Mr. Bryan and hadn't found anything racist on social media, but also the investigator had access to Mr. Bryan's phone. And there was some incident that was vaguely described in the preliminary hearing that suggested that Mr. Bryan might have said something racist or texted something racist. Again, it's pretty unclear from the preliminary hearing on his phone on one occasion. So that's a more tenuous connection. But when you're charged with felony murder, uh, as all three defendants are, you can still be guilty of murder if you're not the trigger person. So as long as all the defendants were operating out of a common plan or scheme and committing a felony and someone dies as a result of that felony, then they're all guilty of felony murder. It's interesting that the government is presenting two different theories of murder to the jury. So one is malice murder, which requires proof of intent. And the other is felony murder. And for felony murder, the prosecutors don't have to prove that the McMichaels and Mr. Bryan intended to kill Mr. Arbery, but rather they intended to engage in another felony, and that while they were committing that other felony, known as the underlying felony, that Mr. Arbery died as a result of their actions. There's one other thing worth considering and discussing on both of those points with respect to the racial animus that each of those men allegedly felt towards Black people and towards Mr. Arbery specifically, as well as towards the felony murder and malice murder charges. And that's that none of those men 
called 911 after Mr. Arbery was shot. They simply stood there and let the man bleed out until the police arrived, having been called by a fourth individual, Mr. Albanez, who lived across the street from the property that was under construction. Do you think that that fact, that these men just stood there and watched this man bleed out, will be evidence both of racial bias and of their intentions? Certainly the prosecution will try to use the fact that the defendants didn't call 911 as more evidence that they were biased against Mr. Arbery, that in some ways they didn't regard him as a human being whose life was worth preserving. There really these days is explicit evidence of discrimination or racism, or anti-blackness, because it's stigmatized. And so in a court of law, when that has to be proven, it's pieces of evidence, circumstantial evidence, that the prosecutors, in this case, hope will add up to a picture of all three of these men as being profoundly biased against Mr. Arbery, in part because he was African-American. And it's ironic that the critical evidence in this case, both the video and the statement by Mr. McMichael, as well as some of the ancillary statements by his father, Greg McMichael, come from the other defendant, Roddy Bryan. It's Roddy Bryan who reported to the police that Travis McMichael used the N-word. It's Roddy Bryan who shot the video that is the basis for a lot of the evidence that we have in the case. And then it's Greg McMichael himself who said that he was not aware of anything having been stolen from the vacant property. And it's both Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael who have averred that they have law enforcement experience and so should be schooled in how you engage a suspect with non-lethal force. So it's fascinating to me that these men are so unaware of the precariousness of their legal situation, that they've made numerous statements and engaged in numerous actions that increase exponentially the likelihood that they'll be convicted. Of course, some of the incriminating statements made by the defendants occurred right after Mr. Arbery was killed when they were talking to local police officers about what happened. And we have to remember that the local police treated the McMichaels and Mr. Bryant with a degree of, of deference and solicitude that's rather remarkable, considering the fact that Mr. Arbery's body was on the ground in front of them when they had this conversation. And in fact, not only did the defendants themselves fail to render any aid to Mr. Arbery as he bled out, but when the police first arrived, they also didn't immediately take steps to treat Mr. Arbery. And of course, two prosecutors had to recuse themselves because they had connections to the McMichaels. And at least one of them has been indicted for misdemeanor obstruction of justice. Right. And so it's possible that the defendants made these incriminating statements early on 
because they were fairly confident that they were not going to be in any kind of criminal jeopardy or legal jeopardy based on what they'd done. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Join us on our next episode where we will continue our examination of this probable cause hearing and what it means to the overall case against the defendants in the killing of Ahmad Arbery. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Harry Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. This episode was written by Art Montrostelli. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Tarakum. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.